Welcome to War Room, the official podcast of the U.S. Army War College Online Journal, graciously supported by the Army War College Foundation. Please join the conversation at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. We hope you enjoy the program. Greetings from Carlisle, Pennsylvania, and welcome to the War Room podcast. I'm Jacqueline Whit, professor of strategy at the U.S. Army War College and the War Room podcast editor, and today I'm pleased to introduce a new series for the War Room podcast. The Army War College is designed and envisioned to be a center for thinking, learning, and talking about leadership at the senior and strategic level. Our student body at the School of Strategic Landpower comprises senior field grade officers from the U.S. Army, its sister services, as well as allied and partner nations, and we have some senior civilian counterparts from around the U.S. government as well. Other centers and directorates at the War College are also responsible for general officer education and making connections to strategic and senior leaders across the U.S. and around the world. As a result, we have the opportunity to bring many senior leaders in to the War College throughout the year. Often they'll address the resident class or attend other meetings or symposia. So while we have them here, we thought it might be a great opportunity to get them in the studio and to ask them about their opinions and perspectives on senior and strategic leadership. So this is a series on just that. Rather than asking them about their specific jobs or their current jobs or current policy, we're going to ask um, the senior leaders who come to, to sit down with us and talk about their ideas about senior leadership, their experiences at the senior levels, and some of the lessons they have learned. So to kick this series off, we are pleased to have General Robin Rand in the studio. He's the commander of the U.S. Air Force Global Strike. And he is in the studio today with Colonel Buck Haberichter, who is a faculty member at the U.S. Army War College. So let's turn now to their interview. Good morning. I am Buck Haberichter. I'm joined today by General Robin Rand, Commander Air Force Global Strike Command and Commander Air Force's Strategic Air under U.S. Strategic Command. General Rand is at the War College today to address the resident class of academic year 18, and he has been gracious enough to join us for this podcast. Sir, welcome to Carlisle and welcome to the War Room. Good morning, Buck. Glad to be here. Well, sir, let's jump right in then. We're, uh, we're always interested to hear the thoughts of our senior and strategic leaders of our nation. As the man who's responsible for two-thirds of our nuclear triad, I'd say you qualify as one of those leaders. <laughs> so I'll ask you right off the bat, sir, what, uh, can you tell us about who uh, amongst the military or civilian strategic leaders you adv- admire the most? That's a good question. Uh, I'll tell you, there's a lot of good folks to, to learn from as I look back, but I like to consider myself an amateur historian, and so some of my favorite folks are, I'm a big fan of... Uh, uh, um, Benjamin O. Davis Jr., uh, and just admire what he did very much. Jimmy Doodle, obviously. Um, Curtis LeMay, Robin Oles. These are guys I, I admire largely because I realize there's there's our shared heritage. And, you know, I, I got to command some of the same organizations that they previously had commanded. And that, that just fascinates me. You know, in my office is General LeMay's desk when he was the commander of Strategic Air Command from the 1950s. Uh, Jimmy Doolittle was the former 8th Air Force commander, and he is 8th Air Force is now in Air Force Global Strike. But he also was the first commander of 12th Air Force. Uh, after he did the, the raid on Tokyo, they sent him over to uh, 
Africa, and they stood up 12th Air Force in August of 1942. When I was the 12th Air Force commander, we celebrated our 70th anniversary of 12th Air Force, so there's that shared connection. And then I commanded the 332nd Air Expeditionary Wing. Benjamin O. Davis, Jr. was the commander of the 332nd Fighter Group. And I just really admire admire him. And then Robin Oles, he was the commander of the 8th Fighter Wing, the Wolfpack, the one who named it. And I was blessed earlier in my career to be the commander of the 8th Fighter Wing. So, But that's a long-winded answer to a short question. But I do admire all those men for the things that they did and the, the way they blazed a lot of trails for us. Uh, that's a great answer, sir. Obviously great leaders in, uh, in strategic air power. I had the good fortune last week of going down to Maxwell, and we got a chance to stop out at the Tuskegee uh, Historical Site. Isn't that amazing? It's incredible, and I encourage anybody that has the time to stop in there and see what they've done preserving that. Well, I used to be the commander of a Air Education Training Command, and, and like you here take all the students out to Gettysburg, it dawned on me. I asked the president of Air University, I said, do we get our guys out to Tuskegee? And he sheepishly looked at me and said, uh, let me check. I'll get back to you. But we need to do that. That, I've, that place is fascinating it is. to me. So big part. But, you know, Benjamin O. Davis obviously started in the Army, West Point graduate, 1936, was shunned there, silenced there, but still finished 35th in his class mm-hmm. of about 280-plus. And started off, he won the, being the, the Army Air Corps, but – at the time, we weren't letting any African-Americans in the Army Air Corps, so he was an infantry officer. And it wasn't until 1941 that he got to go out to Tuskegee and, you right. know, get his wings. And I'm just an amazing uh, an amazing leader. What he did is unbelievable Absolutely. and what that unit did. But anyway. Okay, sir, we'll move it on to, uh, to, a, to a more traditional question. Sure. What is it you know now? As a senior leader that you wish you could tell yourself, a young field-grade version of yourself? Wow, Buck, that's a good question. That really is. Um, I think the younger, I wish I had been a little more reflective. I really look back now, and I I was pretty consumed with probably me, you know, and realizing that the, the longer you serve, the less it's about you and, you know, the people you're serving. Not, not trying to be... Uh, you know, cutesy with that answer, but um, that that really would have been. I wish I had come to that earlier. I wish I had also embraced um, our heritage earlier in my career. I tell people today, history makes you smarter, but your heritage makes you prouder. Mm-hmm. And I think heritage is an opportunity for us as leaders to demonstrate to our subordinates what right looks like. And you can use it as a tool to motivate, to inspire people. And and I find that to be very useful. And I wish I had come to that earlier. I wish that earlier as a younger officer I had embraced uh, diversity sooner and earlier. Diversity across the spectrum. You know, not just in gender or, or race or religion. Diversity of thought, diversity of different AFSCs. I think that's something that I wish I had tapped into that a little earlier. So those are some of the things that I, I, I do. A, when I meet with our squadron commander course, I have a laundry list of um, if I could do it over again kind of thing. And I said, guys, you got to realize that could be a really long list. So we could spend all day on that. So there's lots of things I should have done better. I learned a lot along the way. 
obviously as commander of Global Strike, you've got about uh, over 30,000 airmen under your command mm-hmm. with that. Uh, there's there's obviously a great deal of diversity there. Do you feel that your upbringing would, suited you well to, to command those folks and, and deal with the different tribes, the different uh, skill sets? That's a great uh, observation. Actually, uh, when I was selected to be the Air Force Global Strike Commander, as, as you mentioned, we have two legs of the nuclear triad, the air-breathing bomber leg with our B-52s and B-2s, and we have the intercontinental ballistic missile. Um, ICBMs, and and I'm I'm not a I wasn't a bomber pilot, and I wasn't raised in the the ICBM, and so the logical question was why you, and I said, and I was asked that by several people to include uh, testimony and hearings in Congress, and I said, well, I'm the wrong person to ask. You probably need to go ask the chief of staff of the Air Force and and uh, and the secretary because they're the ones that selected me. But but I'll be honest with you. Um, I, I think it was it was beneficial. Take me aside for a minute to come in and really have a fresh look at how the rest of the Air Force was doing business and how we could maybe you know use some of those as as benchmarks. So I haven't found it to be necessarily a weakness. I think it it uh, it it actually came in as as an opportunity to to share with the different if you will, cultures that we have in the, in the uh, ICBM and in the bomber business. So uh, it's worked out. Good. Back to your point of reflection, sir. Um, you know, we hear a lot here from different senior officers that come through and senior leaders talking about the idea of balance as they address mm-hmm. our students. Can you give us an idea of what your typical week looks like and, and how you uh, manage your time, your calendars, your tasks, no, that's a good... and still maintain that balance in there and potentially get some reflection still at this point? Sure. So, real important that you learn that. <laughs> real important. And you have a lot of people at my level that are helping me with that, too. So, you know, the front office is very dedicated. Um, you know, I have a trip planner. Uh, my my confidential assistant, uh, you know, works very well with us. The execs, the aide-de-camp. So, a lot of people are helping. But I think you have to come in and you have to let people know what your style is and how you want to balance your day and they adjust to that that come in with a plan and so uh, I certainly start with that I spend a lot of time on the road but a typical day if I'm home um, you know I'll get up in the morning I'll do some reading is what I like to do and catch up on stuff whether it's the early bird or you know the daily report or you know I can read from home so I'll do some of that but I'd I don't like to have my first meeting till 0800. So normally that's when, you know, I'll come into the office and and then, you know, it's off and running. And but what I also like to do is I like uh, I'm good to have about mid-morning to right around noon is where I like to go PT. So normally I like to have 11 to 1 kind of blocked off and that's the the time I try to, you know, get away uh and work out. And then I'll come back and um, you know, this, this, there's just a lot of series of meetings when I when I'm on uh, when I'm at home, and no, normally at zero eight hundred, we'll start with kind of four or five people from the staff. We'll just kind of get recalibrated. And the days we don't do that in the morning, then we'll have a seventeen hundred meeting in the afternoon to, to rehack it. So not nothing fancy about that. But what I would tell you how the day kind of goes is there's four areas that m- occupy. I think 
most major, at least in the Air Force, MAGCOM commanders. And one is the fight today. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a, we're force providers, so we got to make sure that our guys are organized, trained, and equipped and ready to go do what the different combatant commanders need them to do. So the fight today occupies a lot of time. The next big muscle we have is the fight in 10, 15 years. Mm -hmm. And for us, that's how do we modernize? How are we going to recap? How are we preparing for that 2025, 2030? And we've been in a real growth industry here in this command with uh, with a lot of modernization efforts going on simultaneously. The third part that I spent a lot of time on is, you know, how do we develop our airmen better that are in the, the 33,000 airmen that you mentioned, professionally develop them. And then the last one that I spend a lot of time on is, you know, the, the taking care of the family aspect. And, and you know, and I, and I mean that sincerely, you know, the quality of life, where they live, where they go, to, their children go to school, what kind of medical care. So those four areas are what... You know, you kind of spend a lot of your time on, if that answers the question. No, absolutely, sir. Def- definitely does. Uh, shifting gears just a little bit on you, uh, you know, I think we found throughout life that the things we learn best from are the things that are most difficult or the things we potentially even fail at. Uh, can you give us an idea of a, an experience with a strategic issue that you found very difficult to address? Yeah, well, uh, you are right. There's, I talk to people, there's a couple ways to learn. One is just through hard knocks, you know, uh, and, and hard-earned experience. And you'll learn, and sometimes that can be painful because that does mean, you know, you'll fail. The other way to learn is, that, is to transfer that l- teaching to other people. And I think that's a, a, a preferred method is to really exchange dialogue, share, exchange ideas, mentor, coach, whatever, um, but sometimes, you know, things happen and you, you're just, you have to deal with it. So strategic issue, um, probably in this current job, um, we, we had a group of airmen uh, across the command that wandered off the reservation, frankly, and they got themselves in trouble and they, it was with, uh, illegal drugs and it got to a point that, you know, the chief said, you need to go do a press conference. And no one wants to get up in front of, of folks, you know, national news outlets and have to, you know, address those issues. So that was more than just a tactical. At, at some levels, that was a strategic, you know, failure that, uh, you know, individual actions that resulted in really a black eye for the command. So that would be one example. And, you know, you get up there and you, you got to own it, you know, and then you got to figure out why it's going on and then you have to try to try to address it. And what, what you'll find is the way to maybe stop having some of these strategic failures is, I'd say, ask four questions. Um, where are we undermanned? Where are we undersupervised? Where are we over under-resourced? And where are we potentially overworked? And if you can address those, you'll find where your next big problem is going to be. Mm-hmm. Find it before it finds you. Right. So the flip side of that would be, can you tell us about what your best day was as a strategic leader? Yeah. Um, well, you know, 
I'm a glass half full guy. I have a lot of good days. You know, I, I really mean that. It's uh, this job's a real hoot. Number one, it's a real kick in the slats, and I love it. But um, you know, I think just in general, the opportunity to continue serving at this stage in my career, standing side by side with these fine young men and women, is is always a good day. Always a good day. So I'll just that that's really that's okay. really the case. You know, nothing nothing I've ever done, you know, um is a success. You just you're just everyone pulling together, you know, rowing together. So I think I think that's the 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 secret sauce. Hang out with these airmen and they'll they'll amaze us. So Okay, sir. What, uh, let me ask you one last thing here. What, what is it you'd like to share with our listeners about uh, your independent reading or professional self-development goals that they could possibly take on board and, and incorporate into their program? How do you pursue those things in terms of a very busy schedule that you've already uh, outlined, but there's, there's got to be time, like you said, for reflection and for yeah, growth? absolutely. Well, one, find something that interests you, you know. And so I already told you I like, I like history, so it's easy for me. To, to read about a lot of those things. But I actually think it's fundamentally important that we as leaders uh, do read. I think you have to carve the time out. I, I typically will have three or four books kind of going at once. And just, you know, whether it's before I go to sleep, I'll read, a, you know, a few pages. Uh, you know, it's good on that elliptical, man. You can read, okay? You can read. Get your, get your iPad out and you can go to town. I travel a lot, and so a lot of times when I'm not preparing for a presentation or a speech or something, you know, and I have that time on the plane, I'll, you know, it's a good opportunity to read. So I really think you need to do that. Now, some of the books that I like that I offer, uh, I think one of my favorite is by Colonel Lee Ellis. He's a retired Air Force 06, spent close to five years in POW, and he wrote a book called Leading with Honor. And the reason I like it so much is not he does a great job of telling his story, you know, and what some of his experiences were like, mm-hmm. but that's not what makes it good. At the end of each chapter, he goes, okay, so what do you learn from this? Okay, what, what, what's the takeaways? And he really does a good job of, of, of challenging us how we can lead better. So I would encourage leading with honor. I like Once an Eagle. It's a fictional book. But I like it because it contrasts two different type of leaders. Sad Sam Damon, who's a soldier soldier, and Courtney Massengale, who's a careerist. And I think as leaders, we should, you know, reflect on that. So that's the one. Um, I recently have encouraged people to read Dereliction of Duty mm-hmm. and uh, Generals by Tom Ricks. I don't know if you've read that one. Again, a contrast in styles, and it makes you, again, this how can you learn, learn from others. Right. You know, take some of those good skills, maybe avoid some of those bad skills. The good thing about leading is that you can, you can learn to be a better leader. Leadership can be taught. So that's why I, I offer those, those books, and I guess my last one I like is Gates of Fire. I don't know if you've read that one. Pretty good book. I haven't read that one yet. It's a fictional book, too, but it's about the the 300, the Battle of Thermopylae, okay. you know, Gates of Fire. Mm-hmm. So, anyway. 
Well, sir, I'll leave you with uh, one last opportunity sure. to open mic if there's anything we haven't covered with these questions no, Buck, that you'd thanks, like to man. leave the crowd with. No, I, you know, to anyone who's listening out there, um, it's a it's a privilege to be here, and I just want to thank the, the men and women who are serving, uh, you know, in the armed forces, and particularly this time of year. I wish everyone a Merry Christmas and really happy holidays. I know there's a lot of folks uh, that are deployed, uh, to include my son-in-law right now, so... Uh, just want to thank everyone for their service and our family sacrifices. So thanks for letting me be with you. Well, sir, thank you for your time today. Thank you for your service and your leadership, and we enjoyed having you here. Merry Christmas to everybody. Thank you. And that concludes our program. Thank you for listening. The views expressed in this podcast reflect those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views, policies, or positions of the U.S. Army or the Department of Defense. Let us know what you think. Provide us your feedback, comments, or suggestions through our webpage at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. And have a great day.